Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's good that you bled over into my show because I'm going to pick up on that point. Hold my program for a second. Uh, Ed is exactly right. What Governor Abbott in Texas has been saying is really poisonous. Um, Yes, it's true. Biden overturning and reversing the Trump programs about how to control flow and how quickly to send somebody back without due process in many cases is a factor in sending a message that is going to increase flow over the border. That's true. They have to find ways to handle that flow and find programs to deal with it. You could argue that they did it all too quickly, but that's a political discussion. When it comes to COVID, it is a trickle the number of people they have coming over. They're getting false positives on the tests. And more importantly, Abbott won't receive the funds from the federal government to do the testing. So if you're going to complain that there is some kind of plague coming across, you know, this is just an extension of the trumpery of the brown menace, but you won't test them, but you care about them having COVID, it is a ploy. It is a poison ploy. The reality is we need to do better, but it would be very hard for Biden to do worse. John, have a great weekend. Thank you very much. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. We have to expose and oppose things that are not true that feed division. And boy, is that the metaphor of the moment on the floor of the Senate. The good news, we have a deal among the Democrats on the relief bill after a day-long standstill. The game is not over. And be very clear, this is a game, sadly. We are now into what they call the votorama, meaning senators can offer as many amendments as they want. So it's going to be another long night because the Republicans see it as a delay measure, just like Ron Johnson reading the bill was a delay measure. So any argument from them about them understanding the urgency is just false. However, the holdup earlier today wasn't because of the toxicity of the GOPQ, as I call them. The 50-50 Senate was in flux because of a Democrat. And I'm not ascribing any blame, but this is the dynamic on the left. It's no sure thing that you get all 50 senators. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia is known for a particular sensitivity to fiscal fairness. He was arguing for more fairness when it came to what workers got, what kind of tax relief based on how much unemployment help they get. Because, you know, maybe you're working part of the year and not part of the year. How does that deal with taxing? Who's getting advantaged? Who's getting disadvantaged? And that's what it was about. And Manchin says that we have reached a compromise that enables the economy to rebound quickly while also protecting those receiving unemployment benefits from being hit with an unexpected tax bill next year. So those making less than 150 grand and receiving unemployment. Wow. Because you don't work the full year. You're out of work. You get unemployment. Then you work again and you make money. How does that get taxed? Those people will still be eligible for a $10,200 tax break. Manchin's concern was that people who worked were going to somehow be disadvantaged compared to people who just never did work. 
unemployment benefits will be extended through the end of August. Now, a lot of this was done also with respect to the jobs report, which I'll get to in a second. There is good, good news there. And I wonder if what we're seeing here, not necessarily with Manchin, but with that pocket of people who are center left in the Senate, is a window into divisions among Democrats that may make the filibuster not their biggest problem in getting important legislation through. Now, to be sure, President Biden cannot count on the right side of the aisle, which is literally pretending once again. First, it was January 6th. Didn't really happen the way we think it happened. Now it's the pandemic isn't causing continuing economic pain. Listen to this. The debt set on ramming through an ideological spending spree packed with non-COVID-related policies, but only 9% addresses the fight against the virus itself. We are already on track to bounce back from this crisis. That's not because of this bill. It's because of our work last year. No, it's despite your work last year, Mr. Senator, and you know it. McConnell is being misleading in the extreme. Money for vaccine, distribution, medical services, it all matters urgently. And they should have never delayed it in the last bill, remember? I'll get to that in a second too. But to assume that anything other than medical costs means it's not COVID related is absurd. This isn't a healthcare bill, it's an economic relief bill due to a healthcare crisis that is virus related and he knows it. Of course we're in a rush, everybody's in a rush. People are starving like never since the Great Depression and he knows it even in his home state of Kentucky. He slow walked this because he cares about political position more than that pain. Give me a better reason. Last time we delayed, why was it? For Mitch McConnell to save companies from getting sued by the sick with COVID. Now, the head senator of the party that denied the pandemic. Remember why the economy cratered. Remember, they delayed any action until the point where it was an extreme, and that's why the economy cratered. But now he's taking credit for the bounce back. To be clear, the Republicans lost the presidency for two main reasons. The big one is that they lied about the pandemic and delayed action, which cost money, but much more importantly, lives. And because people like McConnell backed the most offensive and divisive president in modern history. But looking at what's going on in the Senate floor right now really does highlight a fundamental challenge going forward. The need for Biden to be more in front on trying to create progress and seeing if he can create a safe harbor for this rumored reasonable Republican senator that's looking to escape the torment of Trump. They're pretty quiet for people who are so desperate to do something different. Now, what Biden has going for him is there is growing reason for optimism. I talked about that jobs report and the economy did add 379,000 jobs last month. Biden used that as a chance to say, you see, things can get better. Let's add momentum. Our economy still has 9.5 million fewer jobs than it had this time last year. And at that rate, it would take two years to get us back on track. But without a rescue plan, these gains are going to slow. We can't afford one step forward and two steps backwards. 
We need to beat the virus, provide essential relief, and build an inclusive recovery. Now, the question is, will his members listen to those words and get on board more easily than happened here? And will those words fall on anything but deaf ears across the aisle? Now, the most important question is, with the Votorama happening, what happens next? People are hungry. People are desperate. When will the help come? The better minds, Manu Raju, Michael Smirkanish, right now. Manu, answer that question for me. What happens next? Well, it's going to be a long night of voting, Chris. This was, voting was supposed to begin at 11 a.m. this morning. And in fact, the first and only vote that has happened today is still open. It could be one of the longest Senate votes in American history if it continues to stay open. And one reason why I'm pretty certain is that they're still drafting this deal that was reached between Joe Manchin and the White House and Democratic leaders, and they're gonna offer that as an amendment to this bill. And then this process in which any senator can offer as many amendments as he or she likes will begin. That's why they call it Votorama here in the Senate, because under the rules that the Democrats are pursuing to allow them to pass this $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan with just 51 votes, just Democratic support here, they have to essentially allow for as many amendments as possible because that's what the rules dictate. And that's what Demo Republicans plan to take advantage of. And some Republicans plan to offer a dozen, more than a dozen, uh, a couple dozen amendments each. Uh, we'll see when they decide to decide how far they want to go, but the expectation had been at the beginning of the day that they would take this overnight into the morning, into the weekend. Will they still do that after this eight-hour standstill and this furious negotiation that was happening among Democrats to get Joe Manchin's support? Now that they have it, then the process now can move forward. But Democrats at the moment, Chris, are confident they can keep this very tenuous coalition between liberals and moderates together to get this bill through, Chris. Uh, let me ask you about both sides of the ball, Michael. Uh, on the Republican side, because Manu finished on that, how does this play for them? Uh, delaying, obviously, for delay's sake. Well, I think they were denied a win because of Joe Manchin ultimately coming down on the side of Democrats. If instead he'd gone with Rob Portman, uh, right now you'd have a lot of Democrats eating crow and it would be the Republicans who'd be proclaiming victory. May I say in response to your monologue, good for Joe Manchin. There's such an absence of independent thinking in Washington. I don't know whether he got all that he was looking for, but Chris, I'm reminded of the fact that in the 1960s, the typical Republican, the typical Democrat voted with his or her party 60% of the time, no more than that. In fact, look at a Texas congressman by the name of George Herbert Walker Bush, <laughs> who voted with the Johnson administration in the same percentage that he voted with the Nixon administration. By 2010, the number was 89%. 89% of the time, you vote with your party. So it all becomes a really rote exercise. You know what's going to happen because they all line up lockstep. So I appreciate a guy like Joe Manchin who's willing to exercise some independent thinking. Well, let's also figure out, Joe Manchin's going to take a beating, okay? The left fringe and the media that plays to left fringe, they're going to kill him. But Obviously, he's apparently okay with that. Uh, put up the full screen. COVID-19 relief bill, Senate Democrat plan for unemployment benefits. Here was Manchin's point. Uh, and Michael, I want to get your take on it. Manu, yours as well. 
let's see where the economy is. There's a lot of money on the shelf that they haven't spent yet. How can they know how much money they need now when you haven't spent that money yet? So you don't know what the last batch of money will do for the economy. And let's look at the jobs report. Jobs report comes out. And now he felt that it had should have shifted people's perspective on how much unemployment benefit was needed and for how long. And he was met with nothing but resistance. Michael. So what they worked on was $300 a week. There were a lot of people who wanted less than 300. Some of the Democrats wanted more. And it was for how long? And then Joe Manchin's big sticking point, Michael, and then I give it to you, was the way it was designed, people who didn't work, who stayed on unemployment the, the whole time would be advantaged in a way that people went back to work were not when it came to taxation. Why were not more people with Manchin? It sounds to me a great question. I don't know the answer. It sounds fiscally prudent the way that you've just explained it. You know, I, too, looked at those jobs numbers. Hospitality and leisure really had growth. I think the whole economy is poised to pop because of all the pent-up demand that exists. So where Manchin is saying, let's not make a long-term commitment until we see how this is all going to shake out, I think is a very reasonable path. And I'm disappointed that more people didn't rally around him. Manu, give me a quick take on how people see Manchin's resistance on the left. Uh, not well, particularly <laughs> among the activist base. Uh, on, in the <laughs> Capitol, too, uh, he is exerting, obviously, the power that he has. This is a 50-50 Senate. Democrats are employing a process where they can can't afford to lose any Democratic support. And when they were moving behind the scenes for this last-minute deal, remember this deal that was announced this morning uh, had was announced between the White House and Democratic leaders to move forward on jobless benefits. It would change what was actually in the underlying bill. They did not have Joe Manchin's support at the beginning of the day, but they did have 49 other Democratic Democrats on board. And Manchin just simply was not going to get rolled by his party. And he pushed back, and he led to all all these negotiations happening behind the scenes all day long. I'm told Joe Biden personally called him. He met privately with Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer, rank and file Democrats, met with them. Even Rob Portman, uh, who the Ohio Republican who does have that alternative Republican plan, called him. He Portman told me that he spoke to him all throughout the course of the day today. So he was getting enormous pressure on both sides, but ultimately decided he's going to cut this deal that will most likely pave the way for this bill's passage. But as I mentioned earlier, a daunting series of amendments still awaits the Senate. So we'll see if anything changes, because as you can tell, pretty unpredictable process. here. Manu, you are a man, the man, not a man, the man. I'm a man. You're the man. Thank you for keeping us on top of this. Michael Smirconish, always a plus. I'll be seeing you on TV this weekend. All right. Why has it been so hard for Democrats to get this passed by their own majority party? It's really not just Manchin. Okay. They have issues in the House. They have issues in the Senate. I think Manchin's probably more of a proxy than we're told outright. I don't think it's just him. I think it came down to just him. But what is this about? And what does it mean in terms of what their best way forward is to enact the Biden agenda? Is it about getting rid of the filibuster? Can they guarantee they get 50 votes from their own members on that? Senator Tim Kaine, live from the Hill, next. In nine days, millions of Americans could begin to see their jobless benefits expire. Does tonight's breakthrough, which was with Manchin, but in terms of what you give the unemployment benefit ratio over time into how many, does that mean it's a done deal? The answer should be uh, yes. But let's ask Democratic Senator Tim Kaine. It's good to have you, Senator. Um, Chris, first of great all, great to be with you. 
Uh, always a pleasure. What did you make of Joe Manchin's uh, resistance? Did you think it was well-founded or is he missing a point? Well, I mean, look, Joe's been a friend of mine for many, many years. We were governors at the same time of neighboring states. This was something that mattered a lot to him. And when you've got 50 Democrats, you need all of us on board. So the leadership in the White House worked with him to find an accommodation. It, that was not my concern. I had a, a number of concerns about the bill, but I worked with it on the House side to make sure that the House version that came to us had my priorities in. I think this solves Joe's challenges. I don't want to speak for him, but now we're going to get this done because America, the American public still is in desperate need of relief so that we can climb out of this crisis. But just, you know, just as a fair call on it, do you believe what he wanted, which was basically more sensitivity uh, to the tax ramifications of people who go back to work or who work part of the year and weren't on unemployment full time, that they were actually being punished for working? You know, Chris, I'll, t I'll tell you this. Joe had a concern that he was very sincere about. It, that it was not my concern. I thought the the bill that it was, you know, was in a pretty good shape on that point. But I don't uh, contest his right to raise his challenge and try to work it out to his satisfaction. Because again, in a 50-50 Senate, we've all got to be on board. And this was a last concern that he had. We've now got it worked out and we're ready to rock it forward through 10 or a thousand amendments to get uh, Americans the relief that they need. So everything that's about to happen right now on the Republican side of the ball is just a dilatory tactic. It's just to delay this. Why? Well, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. What's your take? Well, look, I, I, I again, I'm not going to challenge their motives. Uh, some on their side, we don't know all the amendments they'll offer. I, I'm sure some are just, you know, gotchas or for campaign stickers or ads or whatever. Some will be sincere and we'll have to see what they do. But you're right, overall, their goal is to get in our way and trip us up as we're trying to offer this needed assistance to the American public. It's not going to work. We're sticking together. We're going to make this happen. We're putting the bill on President Biden's desk because, as you point out, uh, millions would lose unemployment benefits starting next week if we don't. How do you really expect that you're going to be able to do any deals where people on the right side of the aisle in the Senate, let alone in the House, work with you on any of it? So, Chris, it's a really good question. Um, when, when this bill passes, I'd love to come back on with a copy of the bill and I'll highlight in yellow everything in the bill that was part of a Republican piece of legislation that had been introduced at some point along the way. And what you're going to see is a bill that's just chock full of priorities that Republicans supported, that they had earlier voted for, that will benefit their constituents. They may make a strategic decision like they did when the Obama-Biden administration started that they have to vote against it. But this thing is going to be very full of bipartisan priorities. And I think this is going to happen. When the Republicans see that they can't, through delay or other tactics, trip us up, and we're rocketing forward to do what we need to do, we're, and we're determined to do it, I think even more of them are going to want to come to us and say, okay, we see you're determined. Please make sure that our priorities get reflected in the next bills that you do. Well, isn't the biggest lever that you have with them that you guys could remove the filibuster? And why? what's the best argument for not doing that? <clears throat> I'm going to let them make the best argument for not doing it. I, I you know, I, I, um, 
my constituents, Chris, in Virginia, they don't ask me about Senate rules. They say, can you raise the minimum wage, for gosh sake? Can you Not do something with the about, filibuster in place. Can you, do, can you do something about gun safety? Can Not you do immigration reform? Yeah, but they're not talking to me about rules. They're talking to me about results. And and my goal is, I promised folks that if we got a Democratic majority, we would get results for them. And I'm not going to let uh, form be elevated over substance. So we're going to do the substance. We're going to try to get Republicans on board. We're going to listen to them and incorporate their ideas. They're going to make their own strategic call. But I'm not going. I'm not personally going to elevate arcane Senate rules over. Meeting but what does that promises. mean? Are you in favor of getting rid of the filibuster? Because you don't get it otherwise. You, you, what you're going to see, we don't have to worry about this right now. We can do COVID relief with 50 votes, and we're going to have them. Yeah, but there you can't do HR the, one. You okay. can't do a minimum wage. You can't do gun legislation of any kind. I'm not saying you I, should, but yeah. you'll never get it done. I, I know you want to talk about the next thing. My thing right now is to deliver $1.9 trillion of relief to Americans. And, and you, I think you're right. We're probably going to get to a D-Day down the road. Could be in a month or it could be in four months where we're going to put something like voting rights reform or minimum wage increase on the table. And we're going to try to get Republicans to help us. And we're going to see whether they'll meet their constituents' needs or not. And if at that point they don't, it's not a hard call for me if I have to choose between meeting promises and doing what Americans want versus uh, upholding arcane Senate rules that can easily be changed. But we're not there yet. Tonight, we're about getting COVID relief and we're going to get it. But it is a window into where you'll be on that filibuster. Joe Manchin believes, I thought at first it was just a nostalgia play because Senator Hyde was West Virginia, but he really believes that that's the culture of the Senate. Uh, he'll, I'll take that up with him on this show. Well, but uh, one but you, thing, go ahead. one thing quick, he does believe it, and we could return to the way Senator Byrd did it, which Byrd, was... Byrd, not Hyde, you, Byrd, yeah, sorry, you, you sorry. can't you can't filibuster on bath. paper. Right, you can't filibuster on paper. If you want to filibuster, you got to be Jimmy Stewart and stand right. on the floor for hours. Right. We could return to the Senate that Senator Byrd was in and that Joe Manchin would respect and do it the right way, and we'd get a lot more done. Right. The bird, the bird bath and being on the floor and being in real time, uh, that might be a modification that could work. So here's our date, Senator Kane. Next week, you should be done with this, God willing. Um, you come on with the bill and make your point, and I will once again attack you to savage effect on how it's okay <laughs> that Joe Biden uses military action in Syria, and you guys didn't have to approve it or even be consulted well in advance and make a call on it. And you and I are going to agree about most of that because I called them out right away. But now we're having some interesting discussions. And Joe Biden has said, look, I don't want my presidency to just be uh, another car on the train of forever war. We got to make a we got to find an off ramp to that. And uh, President Biden, I think because of his unique experience of having been in the Senate, he's the president who can do this. Well, he's certainly got an open mind on this. There's no question about it. And you've got a date. I'll contact the office. Good. Look forward to it. Senator Tim Cade, keep your energy up and good luck going forward, getting something done for people in need. Thanks so much, Chris. All right. So the Republicans are betting in an area and on a group that is just not where the country is. Just look at any polls you want from anywhere about how people feel about the relief bill, how they feel about the minimum wage. We're going to show you where Congress is versus you guys, even the states where they represent. Wizard of odds, all the numbers, and look at that punum. Next. Too many in Donald Trump's party 
want to con you into thinking that January 6th was something other than what we all witnessed together. This didn't seem as like an armed insurrection to me. This is not about security at this point. This is about political theater. Now, I know you think that is worthless piffle that we should forget. Let me make the case as to why you must expose and out absurd lying. All right. Ignoring these guys is a mistake. Trump being gone was not a cure all. We are being poisoned by what and who remains. It's as real right now as the military guard standing guard in this nation's capital as we speak. You can't let a cruise and co-conspirators go, or you will see more metastasizing of the cancer of misinformation, creating tumors like this guy in the body politic, Jacob Chansley, stupid antics, outfits, but still being led to believe that he must be all in for Trump. Listen. And I honestly believed uh, and still believe that he cares about uh, the Constitution, that he cares about the American people. But you don't regret the loyalty to Donald Trump. No. Remember, his lawyer was on the show here early on. I brought him on to make the case that guys like Chansley were the Democrats' best bet or anybody with an open mind for saying that Trump was the problem with the insurrection. His lawyer said that he was like part of a cult with Trump. Okay. But in a court filing today, his lawyers argued that he wasn't leading anyone anywhere, despite shot after shot of him at the head of the mob. Tough to miss. That flagpole uh, doesn't constitute a weapon, they say. Take a look at it. It's a six foot spear. And by the way, you wouldn't want to be beaten with it. I promise you that. Now, they really think that because Trump and co told them to go to war for them, that it made what he did Okay, that's what he believes. He doesn't think it was an insurrection. He doesn't even believe that what he did was an attack. My actions were not an attack on this country. That is incorrect. My actions on January 6th, how would I describe them? Well, I sang a song, and that's a part of shamanism. It's about um, creating positive vibrations in a sacred chamber. I also stopped people from stealing and vandalizing that sacred space, the Senate. Okay, I actually stopped somebody from stealing muffins out of the out of the break room. I think he's going to have problems, but that's not the point. He's not an aberration. You can't just be like, why even listen to him? Because there are a ton of them. You remember the guy who broke into Pelosi's office, put his feet up on the desk before stealing from the speaker and then gave all these internets, these uh, interviews? Richard Barnett. He screamed at a judge today during a hearing because he can't understand why he's still behind bars. No, he has not been found to be mentally ill. This is a mentality that they have. They don't believe that there are any heirs of their ways. Why should they? There's an entire Trump party telling them, and who knows how many like them, you are right to believe the things that you do, even though they are fundamentally wrong. Ask experts in extremism. Ask the men and women who keep us safe. Ask yourself, if we don't call out the people peddling the BS and drown it out with better ideas and facts, do you really think we won't see more violence in the name of this viral vitriol? Here's a hint as to the answer. The House of Representatives shut down today because of a credible threat from cats like that. Now, 
The Republican governor of Texas is also part of this. He is making trouble for reason when it comes to COVID. He believes that migrants are responsible for the spread of the virus, that Biden is responsible for the spread of the virus. This is the message he's putting out. We must expose it and oppose it. And we will next with facts. Donald Trump is going to have a lot of legal troubles, some more creative than others. For instance, these lawsuits over the Capitol riot from lawmakers. First, there was Benny Thompson, Democrat uh, congressman. Now there's another one. This time, one of the House impeachment managers, Eric Swalwell, Democrat, California, suing not only the former president, but his son, his then lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and Congressman Mo Brooks. The suit claims they broke D.C. law, including an anti-terrorism act, by inciting the riot, that they aided and abetted violent rioters, and they inflicted emotional distress on the members of Congress. The last part is something Swalwell spoke about during the impeachment when he shared fears that he wouldn't see his family again. Uncertain what would happen next, I sent a text message to my wife. I love you and the babies. Please hug them for me. I imagine many of you sent a similar message. I mean, look, it really does remind we got so lucky on January 6th. That could have been one of the worst days of death in our history. Phil Andonian is representing the congressman in this suit. Counselor, welcome to primetime. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's dialogue this out. Um, what is the goal of this suit? The goal is accountability. Um, Donald Trump and his inner circle incited a violent insurrection. They conspired to interfere with the will of the American public in throwing out the election results. And we need accountability for it. And we haven't had it thus far. So for the uninitiated, a claim of intentional, right? This is intentional infliction of emotional distress. Uh, You got to have extreme and outrageous conduct on the part of the defendant. Now, that usually comes along with documented um, behavior that usually has been the subject of some type of prosecution. This is often a case that's made after a prosecution. Um, Do you think a standalone litigation, this will work? Do you think there's enough that will be believed as true? Well, if this isn't a case for intentionally inflicting extreme and outrageous conduct, I'm not sure what will be. Uh, We had, again, an insurrection that was fomented and planned by Donald Trump in his inner circle. He called on militia members and other extremist groups to come to D.C. with a plan to attack. He, He incited many, many others who were there that day to join in. Um, there's no question in our mind that it's intentional. And I don't think there's even a, 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 a laugh test that could be passed to argue that what happened afterwards wasn't extreme and outrageous. So we feel very strongly about our claim. What if they offer to settle? Well, I think we're probably a, a ways away from that. Our goal, though, is, Chris, is, is to hold Donald Trump accountable. Our goal is to take the case that Eric Swalwell and the other managers masterfully put in front of the Senate and that the Senate punted on. 
Uh, and they punted on it because they said the Senate wasn't the right forum and they invited lawsuits in civil courts of law. And so we've taken them up on their invitation and we intend to see it through. Well, what do you want? I mean, because let's say you win. Um, although, as we know, the overwhelming majority of civil, civil litigation ends in a settlement. But what would you want? Usually it's money or some kind of equitable relief or declaratory judgment of what of what? Well, you know, I agree with you. Most civil lawsuits settle at the same time. This is certainly not most civil lawsuits. And hopefully it's the last of its kind or others that follow um, in having to adjudicate this kind of claim in court. What we're looking for, we are looking, I'll say it again, we're looking for accountability. We haven't had a proclamation that Donald Trump and his uh, co-conspirators and others that he incited did something wrong in, you know, in an official sense. We had a lot of opinions and a lot of comments after the impeachment trial by senators who acquitted him. So what we're looking for is we're looking for a proclamation. We're looking for a legal proclamation in a court of law in this country that Donald Trump uh, violated the law, that he abused civil rights and that he conspired to essentially overthrow the government. And I think a couple of steps earlier than that, if the suit is found to pass the uh, initial muster, would be Phil Andonian lusting after the opportunity to sit across from one or all of those men in an examination before trial, if you could get them. I appreciate you coming on to explain this. We'll be tracking it. Please keep us in the loop, okay? Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. It's going to be very interesting to see the range of ramifications from the time that Donald Trump spent in office. Now, on the vaccine front. Three strong vaccines are now in play to conquer this pandemic. Millions are scrambling for shots. The mayor of a big city, Detroit, just turned down doses at first because he thinks one isn't as good as the others. My next guest calls it irresponsible and wrong. She was a participant in the J&J trial and has the facts. Dr. Lena Wen, next. We have a problem with messaging in this country when it comes to the pandemic, when it comes to science, when it comes to being sensible. We really have to start asking if anybody in power at the local level is even listening to the CDC anymore. Even when they know, when they say stuff we all know. Listen. You have decreases in cases and deaths when you wear masks and you have increases in cases and deaths when you have um, in-person restaurant dining. Unless all you watch is Fox, you know that that's true. The agency put out hard numbers just today. The question is, since they've had that data since, uh, you know, December, and it goes back to March, what took them so long? What's not up for debate is that in places where there are mask mandates, fewer people get sick, period. Fewer people die. The longer those are in place, the better. What's the flip side? Well, we want to get back. We want to live economy. You know, life is when does life no longer become worth living? That's been the balancing test. Okay, but as you open up, cases go back up. However, it may be too late, given how many states are already moving to ditch the mask mandate. The vaccine has kind of backfired as a messaging boy. We thought nobody would want it. Now there's so much enthusiasm about it that Republicans are saying, let's open because it'll save us. You also have Democratic-controlled states, though, easing back on restaurant restrictions. And I get it. Now you've got the mayor of Detroit rejecting a shipment of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. 
Now, here's the problem. And we asked him on the show a lot. He initially explained it like this. So Johnson and Johnson is a very good vaccine. Moderna and Pfizer are the best. And I am going to do everything I can to make sure the residents of the city of Detroit get the best. Let's bring in someone who knows both the policy and the practical side of all this. Dr. Lena Wen, always good to see you. You know, at first, okay, I thought maybe, but also, you know, he just doesn't fit the profile of this. We do know that in minority communities, there can be a fear of medical intervention. There's just such a long history of being underserved, given medicines that were subpar, treatments that weren't thought through without follow-up. And yes, you can go all the way back in history to Tuskegee because history has legs. And people remember that they did you wrong. They said they were going to give you medicine, but they didn't. So there is that in place in that culture, but certainly that's not going to be his basis for it. So what did you make of his initial rejection and why you reject his rejection? Well, I was really disturbed by it because, first of all, it's just not true. I mean, we have three safe and very effective vaccines, and it's really disturbing to hear a mayor turn down something that will save his residents. I mean, it's kind of like he if says it's not as his safe. residents were. He says, you look at it, it's 66, right, but, the others are 90s. But imagine if people are drowning in his community and he's being given life jackets and he says, well, I don't want that one because it's not the right color. I mean, that's the equivalent of what's happening here, because there are three vaccines, all of which prevent hospitalization and death. In fact, they're essentially 100 percent of preventing hospitalization and death. And so turning down one to wait for others and then have people go without any kind of protection, that's really dangerous. And I'm glad that he's walked back these comments, but I think it needs to be said that we have three safe, highly effective vaccines. You should get whatever you can first. And also note that Johnston Johnson vaccine, the one dose vaccine really has advantages too. Maybe you're afraid of needles. Maybe you don't want to come back for a second appointment. Maybe you want to be fully vaccinated sooner. There are real reasons. And again, to deny people in his town, in a city, a choice is really not a good idea. Maybe you're poor and understaffed as a government and you don't want to have the storage concerns that come along. And this, this story, you know, we haven't really even told people yet about what happens all over this country where every day you have to remove a certain batch of vaccine from cold storage with, you know, uh, Moderna and Pfizer. And if you don't use it all, you can't put it back. So, you know, that's a whole story within a story about making the most of this we haven't told yet. But also, when you look at his numbers, he should be a lot more anxious to get anything. Detroit's uh, the ICU bed occupancy is 73 percent. Fifteen point nine percent of Michigan's population has gotten the first shot. That's not great. Seven percent of vaccinations have gone to black people versus 75 percent to white people. Detroit is 78 percent black people. Uh, He should be getting anything he can to correct, which is an obvious continuation of a systemic inequality. That's right. And I think we should also remind people that the vaccine that you get first is not necessarily the the last vaccine that you're ever going to get. So you get the vaccine that you have that gives you some level of immune protection. Maybe over time we find out that another vaccine is better at covering certain variants or another vaccine is better at covering you if you have certain medical conditions. You can still get another vaccine later. Don't turn down the one that you have now. And I think that may be a misunderstanding. I think some people think that whatever vaccine they first get, they're committed to for forever. 
forever. But actually, this is just what gives you some level of protection right now when there is such limited supply. Now, Lena, you have no problem telling me when I'm wrong, so feel free to do so now. But I, I sense that I have picked up on a pattern that this CDC is being too careful, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Information is almost medicine for people on this. And whether it was where they started with masks to when they made the shift with masks, you know, when they thought that this was about what you guys were calling fomites, you know, things that you touch versus it being aerosolized. And now about what you get if you're in the vaccine, you know, restaurants on delaying post-vaccine guidance, decisions are being made without the CDC because they're taking too damn long. Where is the line in terms of all deliberate speed and just too slow? It's really hard. And I understand that the CDC wants to get the research right. And there's also a concern that if they came out with something and then revised it, maybe that might undermine trust. But I actually think the opposite. I think that right now, if their voice isn't heard and people are making decisions anyway, that also undermines trust in them and essentially makes them irrelevant. I mean, we've got 27 million people who are already fully vaccinated. We've got governors that are already rolling back restrictions and essentially opening up everything without the input of the CDC. If the CDC came out right now or ideally weeks ago and said, for example, we think that if you're fully vaccinated, here's what you can do. You can travel. You don't need to quarantine and get tested. Mm. You can go to restaurants. You still have to wear masks, but here are all the things you can do. Maybe restaurants can be 100% capacity for fully vaccinated people. And so that's the kind of guidance that we need. We need more celebration, less caution. Lena, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Have a good weekend. I'm going to go to break. When I come back, I have a song test for Don. We'll be right back. CNN Tonight, the big show with the big star, D. Lemon, right now. Right out of the gate, right to me. So I had somebody hit me with something today that hurt. She said to me, you know, I don't have to tell you about how I'm living with my family and how set back we are by this because there was a TV show that was all about it in the 70s. And it is the reality for too many people of color all over the country. And I said, what? And she said, I'll give you a hint. She said, but this was the end. Just looking out of the window. Watching the asphalt grow, (laughs) thinking how it all looks handy. How do you know the words to good times? You know I'm black on the inside. Good times, anytime you need a favorite. So Florida, who, by the way, was a hugely educated, I think she was a Yaley. And, of course, Florida and James Evans, the portrait of being stuck in the Chicago projects. Yeah. Drugs. Unending poverty, the anger and outrage of being incapable of getting past systemic oppression. Their son, Michael, you know, being caught up in revolution and all these angry ideas. JJ, the brother-in-law was a basketball player, never could get it off the ground. Dynamite. Yeah. And so I looked at the lyrics again, and I got to tell you, it was like a reality slap in the face. Other than the fact it was an amazing song. Um, Anytime you meet a payment. Anytime you need a friend. Anytime you need upbringing. Anytime you're out from under. Not getting hassled, not getting hustled. hustled. Keeping, Keeping your, your head, head above, above water. water. Making a Making wave, a when, wave you can. when you can. Temporary, Temporary layoff. Good times. Easy credit ripoffs. Good times. Scratching and a surviving. Good times. Hanging Ain't. and a jiving. Good times. Ain't we lucky Ain't we got them. Ain't we em. lucky we got them. And have the organ. And people having to live small, 
take solace in each other. Yeah. And I can't believe we are back there 50 years later. Yeah. Well, 40 some years 70s, later. Almost 50 years the later. The 70s, that song was? Yeah. That, that, that I, I wanted to watch that. TV show I watched was that 70s. show every single weekend. I've seen every episode like 20 times. Um, I'm actually friends with the mom of, you remember Janet Jackson, the original mom, Kim Fields? Janet mom. Jackson was in that show. Yes. That you know. So Kim Fields, is, Kim Fields is a friend of mine, and her mom was Penny's yes. original mother on the Willoma? show. Willoma? Uh, Willona. No, not Willona, but the original mom. Willona was the adoptive mother. Oh, right, right, into, right. We're getting way in the weeds here. But, I mean, it was so, but I'll tell but you Kim what. But Kim Fields was Tootie on Facts of Life. Yes. Right? Remember? Yeah. Yes. And then, yeah. She did a great job on that. Yeah. Um, Janet Jackson was great on this. Yeah. But the heartbreaking, inexorable nature of things aren't going to get better for us. Yeah. James was so angry because he couldn't get ahead. But I'll tell you about that show. Yes, it's true. There was also some frustration in the black community of that show because no one ever got on and out, right? And there was, that was a reality for many people in the country. But it was also in a time in the 70s where black people... Um, we're, we're getting a sense of autonomy and they were upwardly mobile and that show was not a reflection no. of that. So there was some frustration with that and, and guess what came along after that? The Jeffersons? We're moving on up. That was a great song. To, to the, the East, East Side. Side. And Deluxe Apartment. Willona. It's like the story of Don Lemon. Willona <laughs> w- wrote that song. Oh, did she? Yeah, I think she sang it too. Yeah. Wow, that was a great song. And you know, George yeah. Jefferson, again, Sherman Helms, so he's such a brilliant Shakespearean actor <laughs> uh, who played that role. But I got to tell you. Those were great actors. Uh, him and um, all, all of those actors are great. The, the one, Florida, what's her name? Um, who, was, who was Florida Evans on Good Times? Why can't I think of She was a Yale. me. I know. She's very smart. I'm having a senior moment right now. Forgive me. I know I'm going to get a million people, people will on. tell us. But what so, I'm saying yeah. is, are we really going back? to that kind of reality? Yes, we are. You know, the Chicago, Good Times was said in the Chicago projects, Cabrini Green. You know, I, I was covering that back in the day when I started this. They called it the killing fields mm-hmm. in between those projects because you couldn't get out. The only way you got out for too many was in a box. Yeah. Um, well, I and covered... it really makes me worry about where we are. And that's why this relief bill matters so much. We've got to get people out of the grip of poverty right now. Um, Beverly Johnson just texted me, you know, the model, the <laughs> first model of black. What'd she say about my singing? She said Esterol. And that, Esterol. Esterol. Yes. I covered Cabrini Green when I lived in Chicago and it was, even Cabrini Green is changing now, but yeah, you're right. Well, now and it's we're gone. Back, we're they tore back. Cabrini Green down. Yeah, but there's Robert still, Taylor Holmes was still up. Yeah, but there's still parts. There's still Cabrini Green. There's a park and all that. But let me tell you, uh, I think we're going back even further. I think we're going back with these voting restrictions. We're going back to Jim Crow is what's happening. Well, th- look, yeah. these laws, I, so I've been spending some time reading them. You know, at first I was like, well, they won't do this. I mean, restricting early voting is crazy. Republicans vote early more than Democrats do. Mm. These things are frightening. Yeah. You know, because, you know, they're playing on ignorance and animus. Here's a here's a really wicked one. And then I'll get out of your way. Um, Hey, why wouldn't you show an I.D.? Everybody has I.D. Oh, yeah. Who has an I.D.? Everybody who drives. How yeah. many people in big cities drive? Drive. Not so many. You know who didn't have a, uh, a driver's license and an ID for a long time? Someone you worked with, Barbara Walters. Oh, that's time. true. She didn't drive. She grew up in New York City. That's true. Never I still learned to drive. Look, my, yeah. my daughter, Bella, 
a lot of her friends, they didn't want to get driver's licenses. Um, She wanted to get it. And so you just start going down the line. Oh, so now people are going to go in and get a government ID Mm -hmm. when so many people in positions of poverty want as little to do with the government. They can't get the time off. Yeah. And it becomes disenfranchising like that. And they know it. This is wicked stuff. Yeah, it is. And ain't we lucky we got them. Hey. Chris Cuomo. Oh, that is strong. Is there anything you can't do, D. Lemon? Yeah. Just looking out of the window. <laughs> I love you, D. Lemon. I love you. Hey, thank you for helping me today. I appreciate it. That's why I'm here. Right, I deliver. I'll, I'll see you. You certainly do. Rain, sleet, snow, or shine. Chris delivered my mail to my <laughs> office today. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. I love you. I love you, too. This Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.